Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wamanjika, come with a purpose to our beautiful home, the lands of the two great bays. My name is Pabanata Dr. Carolyn Briggs, I am the elder of the Yilukitwilam clan of the Bunwurrung. I'm here today representing my ancestors. We are today meeting on the lands of the Nargi tree in the city of Port Phillip, known as Euro Yuruk. And on the lands of my ancestors, we pay our respects to those who came before us and those who came after us, our futures, our Yurumboy. We are here today to celebrate NADOC. This year's theme is Always Was, Always Will Be. As a member of the Yalakawillam clan of the Bunwurrung, Melbourne's first people, I am pleased to be able to welcome you here today. We are here to recognise the commitment you've made here today in paying respects to the spirit of this land and its first people. That's the voice of Boon elder, Nawit, Auntie Dr Caroline Briggs performing her version of Welcome to Country at this year's NADOC Week, a ceremony where she welcomes audience members to Boon Country where this very podcast is made here in Melbourne. Welcome to Country ceremonies like this are performed by local Indigenous leaders all over Australia every day in over 500 Indigenous nations that make up our land. They are performed before sporting events, launches, performances, meetings, parliament, and I think you could safely say they've now become the backbone of the social fabric of Australia. But where did this contemporary version of a ceremony that has been performed for thousands and thousands of years by Australia's First Nations peoples originate? It might just have something to do with a legendary activist, agitator and educator. So... What's this scurrilous accusation that people have made about me? And where did you hear this? Where did I hear it? All right. Well, the scurrilous accusation of which you speak is that you were one of the main instigators for the first contemporary version of uh, Welcome to Country at a festival, the Aquarius Festival back in 1973. At Nimbin. At Nimbin. Do, I, you, do you remember? I suspected I suspected that's what you're talking about. Yes. Yes, but I deny everything. <laughs> Get to the bottom of that one in a minute. This is Our Place, a podcast that aims to explore the designs of everyday Australian life as a way to explore what is Australian culture today. If culture is how we tell our stories to each other and also share who we are with the world, then what is that story right now? 
And how can we use that story to create a new and positive narrative for the future? Before we begin, I reckon we need a little Welcome to Country 101. The ceremony itself dates back thousands of years and it was performed to welcome others who were moving through from other nations on this continent. It was a way to make newcomers to the area if they were passing through for, say, such things as initiation ceremonies or marriage, things like that. It would allow them to understand that place and feel a connection to the land and its stories and its people. Auntie Carolyn Briggs says that Welcome to Country was kind of like a passport for Aboriginal people travelling through the different areas. Yeah, like a passport that gives you permission. It's, it's likened to a passport and you are, you're being accepted because you've kept safe as you travel. I think people want to make sense of their world that they now live in. And if you, if you don't have the right tools to offer these little people, young people, older people, I think they're starting to look for it. People are looking for a welcome to country. So I guess you could say the contemporary welcome to country serves the same purpose in that it must be performed by a traditional elder and it's a chance to now welcome non-Indigenous folk to the place where they are gathering. And it's a role that's inherited and taken very, very seriously. So when you're giving a, a presentation like a welcome to country, it's about demonstrating your knowledge about your being, family, your country, your what what values, what are our guiding principles within those values that um, and knowing the audience, we, we try to embrace the audience as a part of, part of the conversation. It's about our shared history, but it's also about our celebration of our being, surviving. So that is what I believe when we do a welcome to country and, and that titles, titles, Westerners love titles. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so did Blackfellas, I suppose, because you can delineate who has roles and responsibilities. You know, we did, we weren't just, uh, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, laissez-faire. We, everybody had a structure. Everybody has structures in society. And you inherit it from your family lines. You are instructed in your guiding who you are and what roles and responsibilities you have for your community, but how, how you ensure that knowledge is being responsible for the next generations coming up so that they feel that they have a sense of connecting to people and country without fear. It is a responsibility. It's not, yes, you're welcome the country there's we instruct them with the laws the patterns of laws the principles of laws not to harm um the lands the waterways and particularly not our children so you are welcome through that process if you acknowledge those laws so they have, they have a commitment and their commitment is 
how much do you respect this process? It's not entertainment. It's a it's a real value, and we put that energy into it. We really put that energy into. We we look at what where our audience audiences have come from. We look at how we embrace them into the place while they're whilst they're on our lands. And it's you know you go and see a Maori haka or you go and be welcome, and now it's become just so uh, the norm. But we want it with something that I went to somewhere the other night, and the people from India came up and said, "Thank you, thank you. We truly, truly feel blessed." And I'm looking, and I thought. If that's what it means to that individual, I've done my work. And what of the contemporary version that we see today? What is its origin story? Enter the unmistakable voice you heard earlier of activist, agitator and educator, Professor Gary Foley, who amongst other things was involved in establishing the Aboriginal Tent Embassy in 1972, which still stands today in Canberra, and helped establish the Redfern Aboriginal Legal Service, the Aboriginal Health Service in Melbourne and the National Black Theatre. He's a certified legend who doesn't mince words and he teaches these days at Victoria Uni. So back to that scurrilous accusation that Gary is the instigator of the first contemporary Welcome to Country ceremony at the Aquarius Festival in Nimbin in 1973 and whether or not he's responsible. But I deny everything. I merely... <laughs> I merely, I merely stood over Graham Dunstan and Johnny Allen and told them that if they were going to do something up there, they needed to talk to a local mob. And I'm pretty sure it would have been the local mob who would have told them to do that. Right. But uh, will you take uh, responsibility for putting the idea in their head, perhaps? In the, or- Abs- in the- absolute, abs- Absolutely not. <laughs> I don't believe you. So what was this hippie festival in Nimbin? Well, the Aquarius Festival was as hippie as you can imagine a festival in Nimbin could be. All about alternative living, sustainability, music, art and even an appearance by the French tightrope walker who later walked between the Twin Towers in New York City. It was 1973, and this positions it slap bang in the middle of what's now known as the countercultural revolution, which was taking place in other Western countries too, marked by things like anti-Vietnam War protests, the rise of the civil rights movement in the US, and also a generation of young folk abandoning their conservative parents, instead deciding to turn on, tune in and drop out, according to the advice of psychologist and LSD enthusiast Timothy Leary. Australia's countercultural revolution didn't seem to garner as many headlines here as, say, those other Australians who set off to the UK to create the controversial Oz magazine, which landed them in court in the UK for obscenity and gained them headlines all over the UK and Australia. But the countercultural revolution definitely happened here too. And the repercussions of this melding between Australia's counterculture and our first peoples who were fighting for equal rights was a significant moment that has had repercussions that are felt today. Well, I mean, there was the huge 
anti-Vietnam protests, which uh, were involved in in the late 60s. And in 71, there was the anti-apartheid um, stuff against the Springboks, which is the biggest thing that happened that year. And um, we challenged the anti-apartheid mob who had come out of the woodwork that year and said to them, well, you know, don't just look at racism in South Africa, look at it here, you know. And uh, that led to some interesting long-term alliances, you know. There's still people from the anti-apartheid movement, the anti-war movement are still friends of mine today, those that are still alive. And um, and then we we encountered the counter-country, if you want to call it that, partly through, I went to the first ever outdoor rock concert in Australia at uh, Arimba, just north of Gosford. Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs, oh, Jeff yeah. and John and the Id, wow. you know. And uh, I was pretty off my face in that. I can't remember much about it, but there's <laughs> footage of me at that in a Yahoo. Um, but um, then we encountered John Allen and, and Graham Dunstan through. We got involved in the what was then the Australian Union of Students. Yes. Um, and we were pressing them to sort of do more for Aboriginal stuff. And it was through AUS that we came across um, Dunstan and John Allen, because I think it might have been, wasn't it um, AUS who part funded that first uh, Nimbin Festival? Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think. And that's where I encountered, I mean, Dunstan's got his own version of all of this, which I've read. Um, I don't know what John Allen's is. I was tempted to ask him the other day on Facebook. Do you agree with their versions? Does it does it line up with yours? Mate, I'm a historian, and one of the first things you know about history is that history is just about interpretation and perspective. There's no such thing as truth in history. Mm. History is that something. History is something that never happened, written by a man who wasn't there. You know, so. I think their their memories are just as valid as mine, you know. I mean, and I mean, in most ways, our memories sort of are fairly aligned anyway, you know. I mean, they they pay due credit to the to the Bunjalung mob who they met up with up there in Nimbin, and who guided them through that first year. You know? Sorry, so, who who guided them through that what? The local. Local traditional owners, they call them nowadays. Mm-hmm. They, they were the Bunjalung people. Yeah. They were my our, my next door neighbours. I come from just south of them. Right. On the north coast of New South Wales. Right. So, even though you don't necessarily want to be associated with it, it 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 was pretty important, wasn't it, for a festival such as Aquarius, which stood for alternative lifestyle and sustainable living, to acknowledge that. The, the local the local mob that owned the land were, were, were kind enough to, to share it with them. That's important, isn't it? Well, that's why John Allen and Graham Dustin were different at the time, it seems, to us. I mean, bear in mind um, all of those uh, big movements that I spoke of were all converging at the same moment in Australia, you know, and at the same time there was a global big global movement going on the same way as Black Lives Matter is now. But the, the big global issue on race at that moment in history was apartheid, you know. And so there was a global focus on issues to, uh, to race, which we um, managed to manoeuvre our political movement to, you know, sit in 
in line with and and in line with that also was the big i mean you know the, the counterculture movement the vietnam protest movement the anti-apartheid movement and the the political nature of the australian union of students at the time were all pretty much in line with each other you know momentarily in history mm. and it was the right conditions you know at the right time and you're right in the sense that it represents a moment when the very beginnings of a change in attitude in the part of Australians um, starting to realise itself in a very minuscule way, and it's a it's a it's a it's a thing that has yet to reach its adulthood. It hasn't even reached its teenagehood. It's still in its childhood. This awareness and understanding. It's still a developing little child. We've got a long way to go in Australia, you know. But I, I, I suppose you could describe that moment at Nimbin as representing, you know, the beginnings of change. But that could never have come about without the sort of alternative, sort of ideology, if you like, that was being, being thought of as at that time by the hippies, you know. Yeah. In Australia, you know, we we all we always got on well with the hippies. We us fellows in the Black Power movement, which you know a lot of people would have thought was a contradiction in itself. But you know, the sort of a lot of the values that they were talking about were consistent with uh, basic Aboriginal values of you know uh, community, family, you know, um, um, anti individualism, you know, the welfare of the group's more important than the welfare of the individual. I am my brothers and sisters keeper sort of stuff. Not quite to the point of hands across the water we shall overcome. <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Gary's right about history. It is subjective, open to interpretation and very much about who's telling the story. He should know the history of Australia's First Peoples was essentially erased until recently. So whatever version of history you believe, when it comes to the question of who instigated the first contemporary welcome to country, it does seem highly likely that Gary Foley's challenge to the organisers to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land at the Aquarius Festival started something big. Eyewitnesses at the time say the ceremony was conducted by two of the last known initiated men of the area, whose names I won't mention out of respect. It's fair to say, though, that 10,000 or so mainly blow-ins from the big smoke and a bunch of Indigenous folk witnessed history that day and the beginnings of something that has now become intrinsic to the fabric of our everyday life and, hopefully, has encouraged more of us to take an interest in learning about the land on which we stand and the history that it holds. Through this, you have shown the willingness to honour the sacred ground, our Wurrungi Bik. Today, we also acknowledge the Bunwurrung country. This country is 
the unceded land of the Bunwurrung, who were the custodians of the land that stretches from the Wilson's Promontory all the way to the mouth of the Werribee River. So we've got this far, but there's still a little bit more explaining to do. You see, there's an acknowledgement to country too. And this is a different thing. An acknowledgement is used in times when you don't have access to an elder, like Auntie Caroline, who you heard from before. Anyone can perform this. The hope is that an acknowledgement encourages people to take the time to think about the history of the place and its people, a history that has previously been either ignored or seriously edited out within our education systems. Hello, I'm Lydia Thorpe. I'm a Gunai Gunichmara Japarung woman and I'm a senator for Victoria for the Australian Greens. That's Senator Lydia Thorpe. She's the first Aboriginal senator for Victoria. She gets asked a lot to perform acknowledgement to countries and she's got her own way of making sure that it counts, that people actually take the time to learn and to listen. And it's a pretty fail-safe technique by encouraging those who ask her to do it to do it themselves. One thing that I do when I'm asked to do an acknowledgement to country, because of course you can't do a welcome to country if you're not standing on your own country. Mm -hmm. I can only do that on Gunai and Gunichimara lands. Uh, but one thing that I've uh, encouraged people to do is not ask me to do an acknowledgement to country. Uh, and and ask them to do one, but also to do some homework on a particular part of the country that they're on and that they bring that um, truth-telling to the conversation. So, And that's challenged quite a few people because it's easy to rattle off, mm. you know, elders past and present and, and what you um, usually hear. Uh, I think that it needs to be more personalised that is, uh, relatable to the country that they're on. That's a great idea. It, it's it's in a way encouraging people to, to go deeper than just a something that, that, that seems to be, that it could be seen as just a, something to brush over. Absolutely. Look, it's become quite generic and it's being used by, you know, governments and bureaucrats just before they destroy country or lock up a child. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, the the whole concept of a welcome to country or an acknowledgement to country is 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 used as, you know, a bit of bit tokenistic in, in some sections, um, and being bastardized in fact, you know, we where you see people rolling their eyes, oh here we go again. But I think uh, by bringing the truth telling element to it uh, will open people's eyes and give them a better understanding about the land or the water or the people um, whose land that is. It's no surprise that Gary Foley is also quite suspicious of white folks and their corporations who roll out acknowledgement to countries without really giving thought to the meaning behind those statements, which is essentially a request of you to respect the traditional owners and their laws that have protected and preserved that land for thousands and thousands of years. He reckons by white folks simply reeling off the words, they get to bypass concrete and real change. So it's very important to watch what happens after the words are spoken. Beware of tokenism. 
I'd say to them, beware of meaningless gestures. Observe what the people do after the, you know, welcome to country's over. Do they let you stick around? Do they give you a share of their proceeds or whatever they're on about? Do they give you back anything that belongs to you? Do they do anything for you? That's all. That's all they need to do. And they'll see for themselves. Because I know what will happen. And therein will be a new, young, educated Aboriginal person. <laughs> and it's that new, young, educated Aboriginal person that's what keeps Gary inspired to teach and to share his knowledge. While this recent time has been fraught with protest and a reckoning of the structural racism in Australia, leading to the disproportionate number of black deaths in custody, amongst other injustices, Gary does see some light. Well, that's, that's one of the great things that I, I, I'm able to say to my students at this very moment, this semester. I said to them at the beginning, I said, you watch what's going on around you right now in the world. You live it in one of the really fantastic moments to be alive, you know. All sorts of things could happen. Who knows what's going to happen? And I said, I see in what's going on right now exactly the same sort of conditions that brought about really major change with that Aboriginal embassy in 1972, you know. And I see those same things converging, a global movement that has to do with race and history, uh, local issues that that lock into and, and logically fit into that global issue of uh, race and history. Right here, unresolved issues of major of a major kind and that there's a, you know, a unique opportunity in what's, what's to come. And I say to my students, you're either going to be part of it or you're going to get left behind. But, you know, uh, be aware of what's going on around you. Take notice, observe for yourself and, and figure yourself what needs to be done, you know, using the knowledge I've given you. Good advice. And so I think it's fantastic times right now, you know. It's, uh, I mean, back back then we had Nixon. We thought fucking Nixon was a <laughs> an evil bastard. <laughs> Richard Nixon, Richard Nixon looks like a saint nowadays. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so there you have it. The origins of the contemporary welcome to country and some more thoughts from the bloke I reckon might well be responsible for something that has created a greater discussion of history, of place, of ownership, and in fact, it's actually brought a whole lot of change. So if you're non-Indigenous like me, I've got a couple of tips of what you can do next if you want to take things further. If it's possible, always get a local elder to present the welcome to country, for they've been appointed by their nation to share the message from the people whose land on which you stand. And if you can't get an elder, if you're doing an acknowledgement yourself, Maybe go deeper than just reeling off the appropriate words. Make sure that you and your organisation are doing more than simply paying lip service. Make sure that you're doing the work behind the scenes to educate yourself, to donate to various Indigenous organisations and to practice what you preach. It's pretty simple and in a perfect world, knowledge leads to understanding which could in turn encourage pride in our real history and its ancient culture rather than the divided one we're experiencing now. Senator Lydia Thorpe has a few thoughts too on what else needs to happen. And after all I've learnt through doing this, I reckon it's time to make it happen too. Look, the only mechanism I can think of is treaty. Yep. And all of the things that we're doing now are building 
a case for that. And, you know, an acknowledgement or a welcome to country is, is as you say, it's a step towards doing the right thing. Uh, but, you know, we, we need a treaty. We need to, to end the war on Aboriginal people in this country. Mm. And we need to just have a very serious discussion about sovereignty because we are sovereign people of these lands. The Australian uh, Parliament says that they're the sovereign people of these lands. So let's negotiate what that means, what that looks like to go forward. And um, treaty is that mechanism. Treaty is a way where we can educate the whole country who've been denied, mind you, the education in their lifetime through the white education system that denied truth to be told. Um, this this is an opportunity for all Australians to have a better understanding on of what treaty is, and it is no threat to any Australian in this country. It's something that will bring us together, unite us, and give us a reason to celebrate together, and and give us something to celebrate together, which we don't currently have. No, it, it feels like there's there's so much still to be fought, and think talking to Gary it was it was pretty sad to see you know in his his eyes how far we haven't come and um mm. it, given you know he was really working on the ground but as you said back in 1973 when what well, his version of welcome to country was performed to uh, a pr- probably a predominantly white audience um that's a long time ago I'd, I'd like to think we could have come further than than where we're at now but yeah, it's um. Well, we're we're patient people, Miss. Yep. You know, we've been around for two hundred and forty years, getting colonised, and yep. um, you know, having all our human rights violated. Uh, prior to that, we were here thousands and thousands of generations. So we're not going anywhere, and we'll continue to resist and hold our own. And I think that the more we do that, the more all Australians are, are learning and and slowly coming on board um, to seek justice with us, but also to um, you know have a have an identity that we can all be proud of. Litmus Media. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.